So welcome, everybody, to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am one of your hosts, John Robb, joined here by my ever-wonderful co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing great. Hope things are uh, yuppie and peachy down in L.A. Well, it is. It's a little rainy and cloudy, but that's okay. Everybody has to have a, at least one cloudy day during the year, so today's our day. Um, but we're very excited. Come to Seattle. To, uh, yeah, no, you guys are like 40 degrees and cloudy. You can keep it up there. I saw the game yeah. on Monday night. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. But we're very pleased uh, to be able to be speaking here with none other than the New York Times bestselling author Joseph Fender. He's going to be talking about his latest book, House on Fire. Fans will be very excited to know that Nick Heller has come back after the last three years uh, when he's been gone. We also want to remind you that all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books. So visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information. Also, Suspense Magazine. So visit suspensemagazine.com and make sure you check out the Best Of issue, which is going to be listing all of the Best Of books from 2019. So without any further ado, Joseph, thanks you so much for coming on. How are you doing? Great. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. It's always a pleasure. We want you to go ahead and jump right in to House on Fire. Like I said, this is Nick Heller, uh, his fourth book, Guilty Minds, was out in 2016. So you kind of brought him back after a three-year hiatus. Yep. Uh, yep. Tell us a little bit about House on Fire and, and why you decided to kind of uh, bring Nick into this story. Sure. Well, so House on Fire starts with really at a funeral, uh, a funeral of one of Nick's friends, in fact, a guy who saved his life in Afghanistan. And the guy died uh, as the result of an opioid overdose. And it makes Nick angry. At the funeral, he is approached by a woman who says she wants to hire him to dig up some dirt on the family that's behind the production of this drug that got uh, that that killed uh, Nick's friend Sean, and Nick is all in. I mean, he just he anything he can do to sort of work against the company that that did this, he wants to do. So it's really the story of a strange, contentious family um, that is sort of at each other's throats and uh, Nick's search for a particular document, uh, and it sort of involves Nick finally coming to terms with why his friend died. Well, um, I I have to say um, I love being a reviewer in cases like this because I get the books early, and so I got to read it and I absolutely loved it, and but the Thank disadvantage you. is now I've got to wait a lot longer for the next one. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm curious, um, without giving spoilers away, I'm wondering, there are so many surprises in this one. I didn't see the ending, and some of the things you did with the characters I was very surprised by. And I'm wondering, your writing process, and did you see all of those things ahead of time, or were you as surprised as me, the reader, was while going through it? Yeah, that's an interesting question because, in fact, right now I am outlining my new book. And I usually don't outline in any kind of detail. What I normally do is I'll write, up, I'll sort of plot up to a certain point, the kind of the basic setup of the story, and then I'll just sit down and start writing. In the case of House on Fire, I, I didn't do an outline. I did sort of a rough beat sheet where the major beats of the story are there and 
Um, so what I would do with each day was I'd write something, and then I would sort of think, what do we expect to happen next? Let's turn left and go the other way. Uh, so Ooh, I, like that. I basically made a point to surprise myself as, as often as I could. And what I've learned is that if I, if I surprise myself while I'm writing, I definitely surprise the reader. And that's a sort of, that's one of the pleasures, I think, of, of a thriller is to sort of have your expectations be defeated because the author is, is playing a game, you know, at another level that we're trying to compete at. The author is trying to sort of tell us a story and is ahead of us. And that's sort of what I want in the thriller. That's what I do. Oh, that, that's so cool. That's so cool. That's interesting. Now, I, guess, I guess the question is, you know, was it, were you kind of clamoring to kind of bring Nick back? Did you kind of have the story in your head right after Guilty Minds? Or when did it kind of hit that you decided that this was the one that you wanted to bring Nick back? How did all that conception kind of happen? Yeah, so I had, right after Guilty Minds, I had an idea for a standalone. In fact, I can't remember which book it was right after Guilty Minds. Uh, maybe it was The Switch, I'm not sure. Um, and I didn't have a Nick idea right away. I've got, I have a, a file of ideas, but I didn't have one that was jumping out at me, so I decided to write The Standalone instead. And then um, when I was sort of reading about... This, the OxyContin epidemic, it, it, it made me kind of angry to think about the fact that the companies that marketed this drug to Americans knew just how addictive it was. And doctors would prescribe this drug to people, have them take a lot of it, and were unaware of the fact that it was extremely fiendishly addictive. And that made me angry. And I sort of think that the sort of thing that makes you angry is the kind of story idea that Nick is really good at. He's sort of good at, at sort of making things right as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So that's, I, 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 I thought to myself, I want Nick to write, to have an adventure involving a wealthy family, uh, and this family is sort of has a legacy, a dark legacy, which is that they, the, the father, the founder of the company that made the family so rich is mm -hmm. um, knowingly marketing a drug that he knows is dangerously addictive. So it sort of started in that with that kind of what if. Hmm. One of the things I love about Nick Heller as a character is he doesn't back down from anything, and he will do everything he possibly can to bring justice into the situation. And I'm curious, as a fan of Nick Heller, and you're the guy writing him, how, in your mind, is Nick Heller fueled to do these sort of things? Yeah, I think Nick is sort of, um, in some ways, an odd man out. He is, he is not a company man. He's not a joiner. And he is... Uh, instead, someone who's sort of contrarian, just by the going back to the way he was brought up, he was sort of um, he was sort of sensitized to helping victims of bullies in particular. So that that need to kind of defeat bullies 
is something which is a great pleasure. I remember, in fact, when my my daughter was was just a baby, I used to tell her stories. I'd make up different stories at night, and she decided that the genre of stories she liked the best were bully stories. And she'd say, tell me another story about a bully. And I would make up these stories about someone who prevails over a bully. And I sort of realized there is something very deep-seated in that need uh, that we have in everyday life to sort of not be tyrannized by anyone, to not be bullied, to not be pushed around. And the pleasure that we all take when someone upsets that, when someone sort of comes in and upsets the bully, confronts the bully, faces him down. So I created Nick as a character who was stubborn and contrarian, um, but also uh, relentless. I mean, he basically, as you put it, he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up. And um, there's something I really enjoy about writing that in a character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's definitely one of my favorites that you've written. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, when you go back into Vanished, and then you see Buried Secrets, of course, and then and then moving forward, Guilty Minds, and now into House of Fire with Nick, has he kind of progressed a little bit the way that you thought he would, or what kind of surprises has he given you along the way in these four books? Well, he is um, uh, in in House on Fire. He he meets up with an old lover, and we get a glimpse as we're sort of flashback to that relationship, we get a glimpse into Nick and what his relationship with a woman is like and what um, he did that eventually broke them up. So we're sort of, I sort of feel like I wanted to show the romantic side of Nick in this book, which I hadn't really done in the prior books in, in, in any serious way. And I wanted to show Nick when he was younger, when he was just back from the war, uh, living in Washington. And, um, uh, and also on a, on a sort of waging a campaign to bring down a general who, was, um, who sexually abused his girlfriend. So I wanted to sort of show um, not just this, this personal side of Nick's story, but I wanted to show the way he was back then, uh, before he became Nick Heller, the, the private investigator, uh, and um, how he was in terms of um, tracking down a, a bad guy, in this case a general, in the flashback, mm-hmm. and, and making him regret that he did what he did. And this is something about that Nick does that sometimes is too much. You know, sometimes he um, uh, goes, I think, too far with with friends. He sort of tries to help them out too much. And there are times when he's got to learn to sort of back off. So this, you asked me what surprised me. This aspect of, of Nick surprised me, where I basically decided to show him going too far in a situation uh, with his old girlfriend and how he sort of learns from that in the present of the book. 
Okay. Huh. Yeah. Um, I, one of the other things I love about, especially this House on Fire, is we get a first-person character, and I'm wondering, what is your preference? Do you like first or third person when you're writing? I, I prefer first person. I do. I really love writing first person. Um, it has, you know, obvious disadvantages. If you're doing a first person story, you generally can't show the bad guys. But I decided when I, when I started writing the Nick Hellers, I sort of thought to myself, so who makes these rules? Like, who is it who's, what law exactly have a third person <laughs> with a first person? Who says that? You know, I, I'm, I'm the writer here. I'm the boss. I'm going to tell it the way I want to tell it. Exactly. So I, I've been writing I books with first person mixed with third person since I started the Nick Heller series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's great, yeah. And I do like that. That's why I was yeah. curious. It's, it's, I don't know. There's something very up close and personal about first person. Uh, it enables you to sort of when you're in a character's head, you you could not be more closely aligned with the character. It's a closer relationship than third person, and um, and yet I've been, I want to bring in the bad guys sometimes. I want us to see things that Nick could not possibly see, and so that's that's when I bring in my third person char- chapters really. So I, I sort of feel you know. I'm going to write the story the way I want to write it and the way that it sort of is most effective in communicating. And, and in my mind, the first person combined with third person is perfectly okay, even though it's yeah. often not done. I think it's perfectly okay. I think well, if the story just well, comes so. <laughs> And if the story comes out right, I mean, that's the whole, that's the whole point of it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I did. I, I don't know who makes I, up these damn rules either. Well, yeah, yeah, and I, I talked to an, an editor before when I started starting it, and I said, you know, I want to do first person. He said, well, you know, if you're going to do first person, you got to stick with first person all the way through. And I just thought, who says? So yeah, no, I, I there's something kind of liberating in, in writing it the way you want to write it. Wasn't was it was it Cormac McCarthy who wrote a book with no punctuation and just wrote it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, I wouldn't go that far. I like punctuation, but I think. But he was trying to make a point. I think is what yeah. he was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so but, if he could do you know, that, I can do my. I can alternate my first person to third person. Yeah, and I mean, when I would think that of doing all first person just from just from thinking about. I mean, you'd have a lot of POV problems and things like that that mm-hmm. you'd have to just try to work on your head all the time. Like, well, wait a second, he yep. can't see that around the freaking wall, so now I gotta. Get around the wall right. and do it. I mean, yeah, it makes it it makes it very difficult, and sometimes limit. it can make it a little stumbling for the reader. Yep, exactly. It, it can it can limit it, and it can sort of, and that can be frustrating to a reader if it's, if you're too right. limited in terms of what you see. You want it, you right. know. One of the ways that we create suspense and and tension is by showing something happening at the same time as our hero, and our hero doesn't know about it. That's automatically exciting. Mm-hmm. So you know that, and that kind of just makes me think of a of a, of a question in my head that I wasn't going to ask because I didn't think about it until now. But in 
in today's day and age, and you see it, and I see it from the other side because, you know, I see it from the reviews and what the people say and this and that, but doesn't it give you, I mean, doesn't it make you a little bit upset knowing that when, that people are buying books that are really poorly written, thinking that they're very good, as you're spending all this time making sure that it's perfect and whatnot, and then it's like these books that are out there, and it's like, Fifty Shades of Grey was total shit, but it was like no one cared that the writing was so bad. No, that's right. But even, and also, you know, a lot of readers, too, um, just read for story. Right. They really care about prose. Um, Yeah. And my feeling is you can do both well. I think you can you can tell a story that clicks and works well, um, while telling it you know with prose that that is graceful, you know, mm-hmm. or punchy or whatever effect you're trying to achieve. Um, so I, there's no reason you don't have to write shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're writing something exciting doesn't mean you have to write it in a in a crappy way. In a shit way, yeah. In a shit, yeah, exactly. I know. I get you. And yeah. it just frustrates me because I see that and I'm like, but there's so many great books and yeah. so many great authors that you're missing and you're reading this crap by some self-published guy who you think is great because yeah. he has some decent story and his mom thought he could write, but it sucks. This is why Suspense Magazine is important. We try, you know, man. We try. The arbiters. <laughs> the arbiters. You sort of well, the mediators of the, That's it. That's Suspense Magazine. We are the mediators of the shit. Yes, exactly. You How get, about that? You filter it out. You filter out the bad stuff. There's our tagline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why your headquarters is in a barn. I got it now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hell, I had oh, to yeah. mute myself. If you didn't hear, I had, like, I, in my office, there were cops all over the place downstairs, and I'm like, what the hell are they doing? I thought it was going to be on the air, and I was like, I had to mute myself. Otherwise, you would have heard, like, a massive LAPD going through the streets. Is that right? Yeah. Finally. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of L.A., Joe, I have to ask, um, you've mm-hmm. had some fantastic success in Hollywood, and uh, I, mm-hmm. recently NBC was very stupid and didn't pick up your show. Uh, yep. I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about uh, your life in Hollywood, and mm-hmm. I'm hoping you could tell the story about having to shave your head. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, I've had two movies made. High Crimes with Morgan Freeman and Ashley Judd, and mm-hmm. Paranoia with Harrison Ford and Gary Oldman. And mm-hmm. um, one of those movies was pretty good, and um, the first one. And uh, the one you were in. <laughs> the one I was in. Maybe it's no coincidence, right? No, um, maybe. You know. <laughs> and so I, when I was um, when we sold High Crimes, I said to my agent, you know, is this going to be? If this is made into a movie. I want to be, I want a, a cameo. And he said, well, you know, it takes, it's, it's rare for a movie to be green lit, you know, just because you sell it doesn't mean they're going to make it. And then I got a call from him a few months later saying, well, guess what? High Crimes has been green lit. They have a director. Morgan Freeman's going to star in it. And I just thought that was perfect because I wrote the character thinking of Morgan Freeman in my head mm-hmm. as I wrote. Uh, and I said, so I want a cameo. And he said, Joe. Uh, I said, it's just like Alfred Hitchcock. And he said, Joe, you're not Alfred Hitchcock, okay? <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock was the director. He was the boss. You are the writer of the book. 
and you are farther down on the totem pole in the movie. You're farther down the totem pole than the writer of the screenplay, even. And writers in Hollywood tend to be sort of not have a lot of power in the in the movie business. So I just said, but I want to, you know, ask them if I can have a cameo. So eventually somebody asked someone, someone pulled some strings. I don't know what happened. And I got a call from my agent who said, good news and bad news. Good news is uh, you've, you've been, you're going to have a cameo in the movie. And I said, that's fantastic. What's the bad news? He said, you're going to have to shave your head because you're playing a Marine with sort of a high and tight Marine haircut. And I said, hey, I'll go, I'll go to great cuts right now and have it done. No, no, no. Hell yes. Yeah, you got to do it you know, in L.A. But hair's going to gr- hair's gonna grow back. The, hair's going to grow right. back. The movie's only going to get made once. Exactly. So sure right. enough, they, they flew me out there and uh, shaved my head and put me in a, in a Marine uniform. And I was a Marine for five days on the set. Nice. <laughs> but, I mean, you're sitting right there with Morgan Freeman and Ashley Judd, and you see yeah. the whole behind the scenes and the whole thing. I mean, that's just so cool yeah. to see your words amazing. come together in life. Yep. It's amazing because the, I was sitting in a courtroom that I had described in my book. It was exactly yeah. the way I described it. And, um, uh, and here I, and I, I realized that I, sitting alone at my desk in my office, um, I had written the book, but to make the movie, it, take, it took like 500 people. Yeah. You know, I was in, on a sound stage with at least 100 people running around, and there were 400 people behind the scenes getting this movie made. I mean, m- making movies is such a collaborative effort um, that it, it takes so many people. Um, it's amazing they ever get made at all because there's yeah. so many decision makers usually in, in making a movie. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, um, I was sort of blown away by how cool it was for me to be talking to people whose lines I had written. You know, Ashley Judd you know, was playing a character, Claire, that I had made up. And I thought, that's just, that is really cool. I get, the, I get why people want to be screenwriters, to sort of see that happen. Mm-hmm. It's, it, but it's especially cool when you're writing a book because the book, you know, you, you never know what they're going to do to the movie, right? They're, they're going to take yeah. the book and turn it into something else. And, but when people say to me, you know, how do you feel about what Hollywood did to your book? My answer is, same as a lot of other writers at this point, you know, I say they didn't do anything to the book. It's still right there on the shelf. You know, the book still exists in exactly the form in which I wrote it. So, and if anything, what movies do is they, movies are kind of like billboards. They're great ads. They bring a lot of readers in to sort of say, huh, he wrote High Crimes? I'll see what else he wrote. That sounds interesting. So it brought me a lot of readers. So, you know, it's cool on many levels to have a movie made for one of your books. Even, Even the movie I didn't like, Paranoia, I mean, that was a very cool process as well to sort of watch that happen to sort of Great hang out with Harrison Ford. I mean, that's very cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, great uh, cast. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so with all the books you've written over the years, this is your 15th one. What, what when um, someone asks, well, what does Joe Fender write? 
I'm curious, what do you consider yourself your brand? Because we talk about authors and their brands. What is your brand? Yeah. Well, I say, you know, I, I say I write suspense novels. I write, I write crime fiction. Um, I write basically stories about ordinary people caught up in extraordinary events. And, you know, Nick, Nick Heller is not exactly an ordinary guy. So the, Nick, so the Heller books are slightly different in that sense. But for the, the standalones, they are ordinary guy stories, really. Um, and um, they're always about some kind of an issue that's present in our discourse, in our, in our news. Uh, and they're always, um, they always involve the, pers- the perspective of a regular person facing a large machine, whether it's wealth or political power or, or industrial corporate power. It's always a small guy or woman facing a large machine in some sense. It's, so it's so it's sort of a, it's a it's in a sense it's a David and Goliath story. Each of my books. I like that. I like that. Cool. So Joe, where's the best place for everyone to find out about all of your works? Is it just josephender.com? Josephender.com. Yeah. And you do do you do a lot of social media? Which which social media do you kind of hit the most? Because some people yeah, do them yeah. all, but some people just kind of do like one or two. Well, I don't I I don't do Instagram, for example, but I do. Twitter and Facebook, uh, and I post pretty regularly on both of those. Okay. Um, I sort of feel like there are too many social media outlets out there, and yes, I can basically I agree. waste my time doing nothing but posting things on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever it is, taking pictures of my meal and posting them. Who cares about that? You know. Oh, God, don't get me started. That's a whole hour conversation with me. Right. <laughs> So I sort, of, and I sort of feel like when, you, when you're posting, when you're putting, when a writer is putting something out, it should be interesting. It should be yeah. a bit of news. It should be pointing to an article or a story or something like that. Uh, it should, it has, it should have content. There should be a reason that I'm posting. So I basically try not to waste your time with my posts. That's why. That's my nice. basic feeling. Nice. Well, the book comes out January um, 2020, and so you get excited. You're going to do a lot of. Um, are you going to be out doing any book signings? You're going to do a tour, or are you going to do a lot of blog stuff from home? I'm doing a doing a, a radio satellite tour, and I'm doing a. Uh, uh, I'm going to five five different cities. Okay, uh, good. Yeah, around the country. So people will be able to go out there in January. They will be able to go out there and get your John Hancock on the book. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I see it right now. It is on your website. Yeah, Brookline, Massachusetts, Madison, Connecticut, Neptune Beach, Florida, Vera Beach, Florida, and then good old Scottsdale with the poison pen. Yeah, Scottsdale, exactly. No LA. No LA. Oh, you're so close. I Come love LA. LA. My daughter lives there now. So yeah. Oh, does she? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good for her. Good for her. Way yeah. to go. Yeah, she picked a good city. She picked a good city. She did. It's a great city. Yeah. Well, Joe, we want to take you so much, Seattle. What? Yeah, what is it? What? Seattle is too yeah, cold, man. Getting dogged. You're getting dogged up here. Jeez. It rains a lot in Seattle, Jeff. You have to admit. Come well, on. Well, yeah, it's raining now, so I'll admit it. Okay. Yeah. See, and it ra- did it rain yesterday? Yeah. And the day before. And the day before. 
I saw this song, yep. I think, last week. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> you, you, you can't spell rain without Seattle. Let's put it say that. <laughs> that makes no sense. But it's good. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, but it kind of does. But, uh, well, Joseph, hey, man, we want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, to, of course, to always talk with you. Congratulations thank again you. on the next book, number four in the Keller series, 15 overall, House on Fire. Um, again, comes out January 2020. So, however, however you want to buy the book, and hardcover or ebook or Kindle or whatever, audio CD is going to be available at that time. At that time. So, thanks again, Joe. Wish you nothing but the best, and we'll talk with you soon. Great talking with you. Thanks a lot. Thanks, All right. Joe.